Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Last night, this room was filled with people. It was an annual event that Trellis puts on, and we hosted it in our church. And Trellis is the organization that gathers churches in Costa Mesa to come together as one to serve the city so that the city might know the love of Jesus Christ, to pray over the city hall and city government regularly, to go to the schools and help people read and learn to read, to build a, an intergenerational bridge in, within the community, to look to the homeless and to feed them regularly. And we're a part of that partnership. 14 churches here, several business leaders. I think it was four people from the city council were here. And we we're all praying that God would unify the church to make a significant difference in the city of Costa Mesa and all the cities of Orange County. And that's what we're about. And you guys partner with us in that through your generosity. It doesn't happen without people opening up their wallets and giving generously so we can fund the vision and mission of this church. It doesn't happen without volunteers saying, I'm going to take some time. And it's not just about me. Church is not just about me and coming and consuming. I'm going to give back. I'm going to use my time. I'm going to use my talents to serve and build others up so that they can know God's plan and vision for their life. Thank you for partnering with us. As we continue forward, we're so excited. We're excited as we move towards this amazing event that we get to celebrate every year, Easter. It's coming. It's, it's the greatest celebration that the church has, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to have two services. And why are we going to have two services? There's a lot of open seats here. Because you have neighbors and friends that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are open to going to church. Who are you praying for? Who are you investing in outside of your Christian community that doesn't know Christ, that needs to see his hands and feet, that needs to hear the gospel? We want you to invest. We want you to invite. We want to see God do amazing things as he changes his lives with the gospel. That's why we're in this series called Worthy. It's in the gospel of Luke, and we're talking about what does it look like to give God our best. Luke wrote this gospel because he wanted to point his friends, even a man whose name was Theophilus, a seeker of wisdom, right? Theophilus, if you want to know what it's like to live a worthy life, let me point you to the one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. And Luke wrote this gospel to point people to the worthiness of Jesus Christ and to show them what it was like to live a life that responded to that good news and that one who brought the love and grace of God to us. That's what the gospel, we've been marching through this gospel and we've been asking the question, Jesus offers us the most worthy life. That's what Easter is about, right? He came to die for us. He values us as equal with his own precious blood that he shed on the cross. We have our worth and breath and life in him. How to respond to his call? How do we respond like those 12 men that he gathered around them and said, would you follow me? What does it look like for us now in Orange County today, in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our families, 
in our relationships, at our schools? What is it like to respond to his call to trust and follow him? And today, if you want to open up a Luke chapter 9, I've got some scriptures up here. Where we're going to look at a place where Jesus begins to take his, God, his disciples deeper in an understanding of what that call is all about. This is a pivot point in the gospel of Luke. Jesus has been doing some amazing things as we've been walking through. He's been teaching with authority like nobody else taught. He's been performing miracles. He's cleansed lepers. He's called tax collectors to come and follow him. He's taken prostitutes that have anointed him and he's granted them forgiveness and said, you are forgiven and healed because of your faith. He's doing amazing things. He's just fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a fish and the disciples are in awe. And they're going, man, this is amazing. As they go around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is doing amazing things. Man, he is our meal ticket right to a new way of life, man. He's going to do some amazing things. We're on the bandwagon to success and prosperity. Man, it's going to be awesome. And Jesus knows what's happening. He's becoming so popular. So he takes his disciples away. His Galilean ministry is done. He's pointing towards Jerusalem and the cross. And he wants to explain to them in a deeper and richer way who he is, what his ministry is about, what does it mean to truly follow him and live a worthy life. So he takes him to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I've been there when I toured Israel. It was an amazing place to go and see. This is out of the Jewish territory, into Gentile lands. This is a place that was totally occupied by the Romans. It was a Roman city. There was a temple built to Caesar there, worshiping Caesar as God. There was a temple to the Greek god Pan, and there was all kinds of polytheistic ideas there. This was a place of all kinds of ideas and worship thoughts. And Jesus Jesus takes them away from their Jewish context, and he wants to have a God conversation with them. Have you ever taken a co-worker out to lunch and had a God conversation? You ever sit down with your daughter or your son and had a God conversation? You ever gone across to your neighbor and had a meal and maybe had a God conversation? Well, you know, it begins by listening and asking good questions. We're here to listen and ask good questions to find out where people are at. That's the only way we can prayerfully respond. Jesus modeled that for us. He does that with his disciples right here. He asked the greatest question of all, right? How do we respond to Jesus? How do we live this worthy life? we recognize that he is the most worthy of all. How do we respond and live this call? We recognize that Jesus is the most worthy of all. Once where Jesus was praying in a private place with his disciples, they were with him, he asked them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, you know, some people are saying you're like John the Baptist, rise from the dead. Others say you're Elijah. Still others that you're one of the, like the, one of the great prophets of old. This was the common idea that the crowds were thinking when they saw Jesus. They saw his teaching. They saw his miracles. He's like one of those prophets of old. He's called to point us back to God, right? He's a religious figure. He's a hero. Just like Moses. Just like Elijah. Just like the prophets of old. He's one of those guys. He's come to call us back and to point us back back to God. 
What's the answer in the world today? What's, what, what's the crowd say? What's the culture say about Jesus? Well, he's a good man, right? He's a moral teacher. He's a prophet, and he's showing us the way to God like so many prophets have done that, just like Buddha has done that, right? Just like Muhammad has done that. Just like all the religious heroes. He's a member of the Religious Hall of Fame. Sort of like the Avengers, right? You guys like the Avengers? Don't you love them? There's must be, how many, are there 50 or 60 of them? No, I can't keep track of them all. Which superhero do you like? You know, I want the Incredible Hulk. No, I want Spider-Man. My grandsons are fighting over that already. Who's the greatest of all, right? Who's the greatest Avenger? Because they're all superheroes. They're all great, right? All the religious heroes are superhero and great. That's what our society says. Every road leads to God. Every answer leads to God. Just choose one, pick one, design your own, and just do what you want, and you'll get to God. That's the answer of a religious world. That's the answer of a, of a culture where there isn't any ultimate truth, right? A post-Christian culture. There, all roads lead to God. Your truth is your truth. Whatever it goes, as long as it works for you, that's great. But that's not the answer that Jesus gave. That's not the answer that he was looking for. And so he drilled in a little deeper with the men that had followed him and watched him. Peter, he's the spokesperson for the 12. He's the one that knows where they're all at. And Peter says, okay, Jesus, I'm going to answer the second question. Because Jesus says, who do you say that I am? That's the crowd, but who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and he says, you know what? You are the Messiah, God's Messiah. That is a unique answer. Peter affirms that Jesus isn't just another prophet. He is the anointed one of God. The Old Testament has prophesied about this special one that would come in the line of David. He would sit on the throne of David. He would be a deliverer. He would bring God's people back to the old days when David was king and they were great again. He would deliver Israel from all their struggles and problems. You are the anointed Messiah of God. What Peter is saying is right He's getting it. He's understanding on that road to discipleship. You're unique. You're special, Jesus. There's nobody else like you. You are the one unique person in the redemptive plan of God. Later in the book of Acts, after Jesus died and rose again, Peter is going to stand before the religious leaders of his day as a humble fisherman and say, there is no one under heaven on earth. There is no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus Jesus is utterly unique. You cannot put him in the religious box. That's where a God conversation is about Jesus leads. He didn't claim to be a religious figure. He didn't claim to be one of the prophets. He claimed to be the ultimate son of God. He claimed to be able to die and rise from the dead. You destroy this temple and I will build it up. He claimed to be the unique son of God. He called God his father. Jesus would not fit in a religious box. He would not allow people to put him there. He was revealing to his disciples, and he's revealed to you, and this is revelation that Peter got, and that you've gotten if you're a Christian, that Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. But what does that mean for us today in Orange County? Jesus is the unique Son of God. What does that really mean? What does it really mean for them 
because it meant something totally different than Peter really understood. Because he is not just a prophet who came to point the way to God. He is the Messiah who came to make a way to God. He's just not one religious figure like all pointing the way to God. He said, I came to make a way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is revealing what it really means to be the Messiah to Peter and the disciples. Jesus warned them, don't tell anybody about this. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows there's so much baggage around the term Messiah in Israel. And even the disciples It's a popular term, it's a confused term, and Jesus says, you guys need time for me to unpack what it really means for me to be the Messiah, because you totally don't get it. Yes, I am the Messiah, yes, I'm unique, but you still don't understand what it means for me and for you. Because when we head to Jerusalem, we're not going there for a hoedown victory, we're going there for a cross and suffering and death. That's where we're headed, guys. And I want you, this is the first time in Luke's gospel that Jesus takes Messiah and he says, suffering servant. Where Jesus takes Messiah and says, I'm going for a cross. That's, that's way out of the disciples' worldview and perspective. Jesus says, tells them, don't tell anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed. I'm going to die in Jerusalem, guys. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. This is what it means to be a deliverer. This is what it means to be the Messiah. See, they have a misplaced view. We all have a misplaced view when we come to Jesus for the first time. We all sometimes misunderstand really what he's about and really what he's doing in our life. That's why he calls us to follow him and to trust him. He reveals himself, and he shows us what does it really mean to trust and follow him. He came for a cross, not for a crown. You see, Peter and the disciples think he is a meal ticket for success. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to kick butt. We're going to take names, man. I'm going to sit at your right. This guy's on your left. We're going to be the governing people. We're going to take over. It means money, power, fame, and success. That's what they're attaching to Jesus and Messiahship. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come for a crown, guys. That's not what it means. I came for a cross. I didn't come for earthly solutions. I came to bring an eternal transformation to your heart and soul. And that requires that I die in your place for you. He came for a cross. This is the true path that makes us worthy, guys. This is what makes Jesus utterly unique. If you want to talk to your friends and have a God conversation, why is Jesus utterly unique? Because he made a way to God for us by dying in our place and rising from the dead to give us eternal life. How many times did Buddha rise from the dead? How many times did Muhammad go to a cross and die and rise from the dead? How many times did the other religious leaders show themselves with their hands and the feet? Why is Jesus utterly unique? Because he is a risen Savior. He's conquered death for us. This is the truth path. That's why Jesus is the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? Is it LeBron? Is it Michael? Man, that is the debate that's, watch ESPN, Michael, LeBron, LeBron, Michael, okay. who is it in football, man, right? Is it Tom Brady, or is it Joe Montana, is it one of the other, who's the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time? No, Jesus is the greatest of all time, why? Because he's the God of all time, 
He's not just a man. He's God who took on skin to die in our place and rise from the dead. Nobody else, no religious figure, nobody else claimed to do that. It's utterly unique. Don't let people put you in a religious box. Tell them the truth about your faith and who Jesus truly claimed to be and what he did. That's what Easter's all about. He's the greatest of all time. And how do we respond? We recognize that he is worthy, but we respond by giving back and following him into a worthy life. We recognize that he is worthy, but we respond by trusting and following him into a worthy life. What does that look like? Jesus is going to take that cross that he's going to bear for us, but then he's also going to talk about our cross. He's going to take that image and turn it into an image of discipleship. What does it really mean to live a worthy life? Jesus said to them, this is who I truly am. I'm a suffering servant. I'm going to die in your place. And if you guys want to come after me and go to Jerusalem, if you guys want to follow me and find the life that is worthy... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying, the cross, my cross, is where I died for your sins, where I give you the gift of eternal life. But your cross is what you take up in daily life and let go of yourself, let go of your agenda, let go of your control, let go of what you think life is supposed to be about. Let go of your will and deny yourself in order to follow my will. And as you do that, you will find and discover and I will bring a worthy life in and through you. Denying one's own will and taking up the will of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. To deny myself, to deny my agenda, to deny my dreams even to deny my perspective even, and to die to that and put that down and say, Jesus, what is your will? What is your way? What is your time in my life? Wow. That's a revolutionary thing. It's not a popular thing in a world that proclaims to you every day the gospel of self. That is the gospel in America, the gospel of self. Self-actualization. Self-exaltation, self-centeredness. It's all about you. It's all about me. I'm going back to the heart of worship, Jesus. It's all about me. It's all about me. The gospel of self, right? You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. That's what the world sells you and tells you. And you can exalt yourself through money, power, success, sex. You can proclaim that you are exalted. You're the one. You can find your self-esteem, your self-identity in the things of this world. The gospel of self is sold to you every day in Orange County. And I'm sad to say that that gospel has infiltrated the church. It's infiltrated the church, guys. And so much of the times, the gospel that many times in favor of being relevant and being authentic and all this stuff that we say about, many times we sell you a gospel of self, a consumer gospel, a gospel that says it's possible to believe in Jesus without following him. It's possible to know Jesus without denying yourself and taking up your cross and walking after him. It's possible just to have a set of beliefs and pray a prayer and sit in a pew and never do anything with your life. And that's what it means to be a Christian. To just consume. 
to just consume and never respond to the call. That's not what this book says. This book is by disciples for disciples. It's not about Christians. Jesus didn't say go and make Christians. You know, Christians only use three times in the New Testament. Jesus said go and make disciples. People who will trust and follow me. People that believe in me and baptism is a picture, but people will learn to obey me, to become like me. That's the gospel. It's not two parts. It's the same thing. Being a Christian is just not a normal thing, and if a disciple is an upgrade, I'll just do a spiritual upgrade. Man, can you put a little bells and whistles on this card? I want the, I want the upgraded model. A lot of people sit in churches and say, hey, well, it's okay to be a Christian. Maybe I'll be a disciple, maybe I'll not be a disciple, because that's for the real spiritual people. There's no such a thing. It's all the same thing. If you trust Jesus, you are a disciple. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, disciples were called Christians in the church of Antioch, Acts 13, because they look like Jesus. There's those people that look just like Jesus. We'll call them Christians because they were disciples. The gospel is not a consumer gospel, it's a disciple gospel. What does that look like, the consumer gospel? Here's here's a great way to look at it. We all can become trapped in this. Peter became trapped in this, do you know? Because when we come to God, we're consumers. Peter was a consumer. Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to die. And in Matthew 16, no way, you're never going to die and go to the cross. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of men. You're having a man-centered idea about who I am, a man-centered gospel. That's not what I came for. Here is the consumer gospel that many times we buy into in church, seeking Jesus for worldly gain. That's why I'm going to follow Jesus, because it's all about me. The consumer gospel puts man at the center. The real gospel puts Christ at the center. People who view the gospel, the church, or Jesus himself as a way to elevate themselves, as a way to better their lives and become successful and wealthy and rich, or fulfilling their dreams. Jesus is just here to fulfill your dreams, make you comfortable, successful, and prosperous. I wish that was true, but that's not what I read in this Bible, guys. That's not why he came. He came to bring eternal things and transformational things and give you the best life ever. But that doesn't involve always comfort, wealth, and success. It involves suffering and struggle and sometimes difficulty. And that's the true gospel, not the consumer gospel. Here's a a survey that was done by the University of North Carolina in the last maybe four or five years. The consumer gospel. The University of North Carolina asked teenagers about their view of God and religion. And this is what they found. They concluded that most American teens viewed God as a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. And the teens were primarily concerned with their own happiness in contrast to focusing on glorifying God, learning obedience, and serving others. Typical for a teenager, right? Where did they get this from? Where did they get this idea from? Come on! This was the religion of most of the teens, and the researchers concluded because it was also the form of religion practiced by their parents. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, guys. The apple doesn't fall. We have bought into a consumer gospel. Church is about sitting in a pew, hearing a good sermon, having some coffee, and then going and living my life and asking Jesus to bless it. 
That is not what the Bible teaches, right? It's not, that's not the true gospel. Americans want a consumer God who will serve their needs, fix their problems, and help them achieve their goals. That's where Peter was at. That's where we're all at, guys, when we come to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't live us there, leave us there. He calls religious consumers to become fully devoted followers, committed to take up their cross and follow him. That is Christianity. To take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. What does that look like in Orange County today? Called not to a consumer life, but to a cross-shaped, cruciformed life, just like Jesus lived, to die to myself, to serve God, and to serve others. What does it look like in your daily walk with Jesus? It means asking for his will. I love what Dallas Willard, the pray that he prayers, the pray of a disciple. Jesus, I want your will, I want your way, and I want it in your time. Is that what you pray for your business? Is that what you pray for your kids? Is that what you pray for your daily life with all the stuff on your account? Jesus, I want your will. I want your way. I want, your, I want what you want. I want it in your time. I trust you. I choose to follow you. Daily asking God for his will. Spending time with him in his word so he can change my perspective. So he can change this consumer mind to a convicted follower mind. What about the church? How many people think they can live a Christian life without the church, right? Church is just some add-on thing that I go to every once in a while, right? I just live alone with God and go surfing and go mountain biking. I listen to a podcast and I do whatever I want. Well, that's not what Jesus called these disciples to. He called them to be a community who would take up their cross and die to themselves. You cannot do that alone without the help of some friends. There's no way I could do that alone without some help of some friends. Regular connection with God's word, with God's people who are followers of Jesus, teaching you what it's like to die to yourself and follow him, praying for you, keeping you accountable, right? There's no way we can do this alone, guys. We've got to have each other. There's no way we can live the cruciform life without men and women praying for us, encouraging us, picking us up when we fall, giving us grace and forgiveness, and yet showing us a better path. We need each other on this path of discipleship. Parents, raising your children according to God's plan and not your plan for them. Dying to your dreams, dying to yourself, not getting your identity out of them, but pointing them to Jesus and showing them what it's like to follow him. Discipleship is about families in the church. It's our job as parents to disciple our children. It's not the youth leader. It's not the children's person. It's our job, parents, to disciple our children. Spouses, learning to walk in the door at the end of the day and take my cross and die to myself, right? Don't, lay, gentlemen, lay down the clicker. Die to yourself and go to the kitchen and serve your spouse. Wash some dishes. Take out the truck. Ask her how her day was, Right? Wives, let go of all your hysteria. When they walk in the door, embrace them and ask, tell them that they love them. How can you work together at the home at the end of the day and die to yourselves? What about your neighbors? You know, the research in America says most people don't know the names of their neighbors that live around them. They don't even know their neighbors. And Jesus calls us to love our neighbors, 
Do you know your neighbors? Have you had a conversation? Have you ever invited them over to dinner for a barbecue? Have you ever even got to know their names? It means dying to myself and learning to love my neighbors, find out what their needs are and serving them. What about my coworker? It means sometimes dying myself and advancing their career in spite of my own career, helping them become successful, mentoring them, showing the path of a better life. That's what it means to take up our cross. That is a unique community in Orange County. People are going to see the glory of God when that happens, when people take up their cross and die to themselves. And what does that ultimately bring? It brings the life that you were given when you were created. It brings a heavenly life. It brings a -a one-of-a-kind life. It brings a life that experiences God right here, right now. The kingdom of heaven is now. It's right here. It's not just when you die. It's right here. And as we die to ourselves, that kingdom can come in and flow out of us through the power of his spirit, which is now in the center of our lives when we die to ourselves. Jesus says, you'll begin to rejoice and experience the life that is immeasurably more, right? That's what we're praying for our church, that God would do immeasurably more this year in your marriages and your families. As you die to yourself, that opens the door for God to do immeasurably more, to flow in you and through you through the power of his spirit. Whoever wants to save his life, why do we take up our cross? Because Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to be consumed with all the stuff in Orange County, and yet forfeit their very self or their soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed when when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and the holy angels. You see, when you take up your cross and you die and you give your life away for others and for Jesus, you won't waste your life on the things that don't last. You won't waste your life on things that can never bring you life. You won't put money, power, sex, and success at the center of your heart. You'll die to that old nature and you'll begin to flow in the life that is really life. And you will experience that in your family, in your relationships, in your world. Jesus says, Stop trying to save yourselves. Let me save you. And let me be at the center of your life. We will begin to experience God's kingdom as we live and serve others. We'll see lives transformed. Lives actually transformed. We'll see marriages healed. We'll see youth come back to God. We'll see addicts, the chain of addiction broken. I've seen God do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. I've seen marriages where their affairs come back and reconcile and be healed. I've seen men who've gone away and loved money, let go of that money and come back to Christ. I've seen God raise the dead. This is what he does when people deny themselves. He brings his full life into the picture. He makes a better way. That's what we're praying for the city of Costa Mesa. What God is doing is amazing. 400 people have gotten off the streets and out of homeless over the last 10 years because of the efforts of the church. Every school in Costa Mesa has a sponsor church where parents and mentors are going in there. Things are changing because the church is denying itself and giving itself away. Join Jesus on the adventure of a life. There will be joy finally at the finish line. I want to invite the band up here. We're going to end our time in worship and community, but there's going to be joy at the finish line. Every week we come to this table and we Take communion. 
It's a remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. We thank him for forgiving us and we celebrate the worthy life that he's given us. But one day, we're going to see him face to face. One day, it's not going to just be a bread and a cup. It's going to be Jesus Christ face to face. You're going to stand before him. You're going to give an account of your life. How did I live my one and only life? Life is not a dress rehearsal. We don't get to do this a second time. Do you want to stand before that Lord and have joy and embrace him and say, oh, you're the one I've been meeting every week in communion. You're the one I've, I couldn't wait to be with you, Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus wants for you. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself and one day we're going to be in paradise for all the suffering, all the burdens, all the things that you're going through. And I'm with you in that stuff, guys. I know it's hard. Jesus says one day it's going to be the sufferings of the world are not going to compare to the glory and what we're going to share in paradise together. We have a foretaste of it with the Spirit, but one day it's going to be the most glorious thing. And that's what we're giving our life to. Something that lasts. A God that loves us. That is a worthy life. And that's what we want to pray over. That's what we want to give ourselves to this morning. I want to challenge you guys to ask the Lord, Lord, thank you for your body and blood, but where is a place in my life where I need to decrease so you can increase? Lord, I want more of you and less of me in my marriage. Lord, I want more of you and less of me in my finances. I need more of you and less of me in the way I I eat and drink, God. The way I treat my children, I need more of you and less of me because I'm so frustrated and angry and filled with stuff. Well, that, if you're the place that you're frustrated and angry, that's the place where Jesus is taking you to the cross. My career. I had so many dreams for my career. I was going to build a business and build a better business than my father. My father's business was successful. When I was a Christian, I knew better than my dad. I was going to start a company, a construction company. We were going to build houses and subdivisions. It started with roads, and we had all these dreams with a Christian buddy. And I went there, and the business died. In the recession of the early 90s, it died. We laid people off. Cash flow went out the door. I found myself with a, in a ditch with a jackhammer, an NBA from UCLA in a ditch with a jackhammer in my hand, feeling like I was the most unworthy. I left my father's business and I failed. I felt so unworthy. I remember the moment because I was in an intersection and my dad drove up with his partner just in the intersection. I was, he didn't know I was there. I didn't know I was there. And I saw him talking to his partner in his cool, nice car and I said, Oh, I've totally blown it. I'm so unworthy. If that was the moment I did business with God, that's the moment I surrendered my life fully to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I'm stopped trying to plan my life my way. I want it your way. No matter what, take me your way. I don't care what you do. Have my life and take all of me. I was a businessman. Nine months later, God called me into the local church as a pastor. My calling wasn't to train as a pastor. I never knew I was going to be a pastor. He called me to be a pastor for 28 years. God has brought so much joy in my life through the suffering and pain of walking with people and sharing the good news of Jesus has been the greatest ride of my life. 
And that's the promise that he gives to you guys in your suffering and pain. He is with you. He is for you. And he's making a way for a better life. That's what this celebration means, Jesus. You are Lord and Savior. And I give my life. You gave your life for me. Thank you. I give my life to you. Let's worship him fully. Let's let him have his way. It is the best way. Because he is Lord of all. He is worthy of our worship today. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. 28 years of ministry, I never could have dreamed or imagined as a businessman what you would do with my life. Thank you so much. Thank you for the pain and the suffering. There's been a lot of it. Thank you for the joy and the friends and the love. You are so good. I pray that everyone here today would understand the call to take up their life, to take up their cross. They would deny themselves. They would give you the things in their life that they're holding too tight. They would let go of those things. They would let you have your way. Father, fill us and heal us with your Holy Spirit. Spirit, you're welcome. Come in and change us and make us the people that you want us to be, Jesus. We celebrate your body and blood in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.